You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. Life's most difficult questions. Why say that an alarm clock is going off when it's actually coming on? You know this question. Why do we drive on a parkway and park on a driveway? Why do we say I slept like a baby when a baby only sleeps like every two hours? And if you throw a cat out of a moving car, is it called kitty litter? Driving questions that keep us awake at night. And uh, probably the biggest question that we ask ourselves is, God, if you're good and you're able to do good things and you're all powerful and you care about what is happening in this world, then why aren't you doing anything about it? That's probably one of the hardest questions the people have to face in their entire life. God, life doesn't seem fair. And we have been unpacking the minor prophets over the summer. And, and I, I, I'm enjoying, I mean, I thought I would enjoy it. Okay, I'm, I'm the primary uh, teacher here and I thought it would be good, but it's way better than I thought it would be. I mean, I'm thoroughly getting stretched and challenged as, as the minor prophets are, are encouraging us and challenging us to, to break out of our complacency, to, to make a difference, to reach out to those that are hurting, and to remember that God has a standard that he's called us to live up to and, and that he is holding us accountable and those around us accountable to his word. It's been challenging. And, and we've been looking at 12 guys, 12 prophets and in the Old Testament, that rarely anybody knows, they're the minor league guys. They're, they're the guys that never got a sports drink named after them, and they never got a candy bar, and they're, none of their faces on a cereal box. But they all, though they're minor in their name, have major messages. Today we're going to talk about Habakkuk, a, a prophet, one of the only prophets of the 12 that is actually having a conversation with God. He's, he's not just declaring God's word, but he's actually complaining to God about the unfairness of this world. And while the other prophets have been challenging us to break out of our complacency, this one is all about focusing on the challenges of your own life and how, God, if you're there, am I hurting so much? Now, in the last couple of months, we've talked about these prophets who've been stretching us to make a difference. And before I dive into the message, I want to invite a friend up, uh, Paul. You didn't know it was going to be now. You thought maybe it was going to be later, but it's going to be now. Uh, I'm going to invite Paul up. Paul is a missionary in Africa, and he'll take a second to talk about it. And many of you guys know him. We, he's a friend of Living Way, and, and uh, we support in prayer and in resources and whatever we can do. Come on over here, man. And um, He's here in town for a little while, so uh, today I want you to give him hugs and and uh, just love on him. And, and what's going on? Okay, here, uh, uh, step up to here. Yeah. Wow. Um, okay, so uh, wow, this is really bright. Uh, um, want me to hold I'm, that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Here, I'm gonna leave Ted holding the bag. Um, yeah. yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, Ted introduced me as a missionary. I'm not a missionary. Um, Ted's not mistaken, though. Um, Raquel came up as a missionary. Um, she is a missionary, but she's not a missionary. In the sense that a lot of us think, oh, missionaries are like uh, music leaders. Like they've got like this special like little connection with God. Like they're, they have a, cu- a few extra wires that we don't have as normal people. And then pastors, like they're extra special. They win the, the um, you know, the lotto when everybody else booze them but i wish know, i could win I know. a lot of and it's i like, wish it's i had like, that geez, one. What, why does god like them better they get to stand up front and strum a guitar or go overseas or you know uh get a gift certificate at starbucks and actually I'm, just, I'm giving that away yeah oh you are yeah no that's not see and they're so good we already decided we're going to give it away to the reeds they give away their lotto winnings i mean that's how special <laughs> the special people are right so so I just you want to be my friend. Let me just say that. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Raquel, where are you? Come on, come on down. I want to. I want to change some. I want to change the um, the dynamic of that a little bit. So I'm, I was kind of doing that whole thing, like the Holy Spirit will tell you what to say when you get up there, uh, which means it's like a Pentecostal way of uh, of not preparing for what you're going to say. Um, so it works out. It, it works out well sometimes, and other times it makes you into like a big idiot. Um, hopefully it works out well this time. So Acts 8, 
1, right? Get this. It says, how, how many people have this memorized, right? Uh, Saul was right there congratulating the killers. All right, that's the whole verse. Saul was right there congratulating the killers. Um, my name's Paul. My middle name is Paul. I'm named after Paul, who used to be Saul. And um, there's always a time in every believer's life where um, there's something else. There's something that somebody else defines them as. I used to be a used car salesman, okay? I sold Porsche and Lotus. I talked to you guys about that last time. Um, I used to be in the middle of an ugly divorce. Uh, I used to, you know, never figure out how to follow a to-do list. Guess what? I still can't follow a to-do list. Um, Raquel, I, I don't know what you used to do, but now she's being introduced as a missionary. Um, the, the thing that I want to, I want you guys to maybe walk away from is Raquel's about to go into, uh, an area of the world where Congo, 6 million people have died since 1996 in, um, in a conflict that it very much has a lot to do with us and our consumer purchases. She'll talk to you about that. Um, she's going to come see me and my wife, Hope, in Rwanda, where 1 million people died in a genocide. Now, that seems like a really dark and horrible place to go to. But guess what? You go to work on Monday, you know, and you're going to go on more to work on Monday. And there's going to be a guy there or somebody there that you're going to be like, oh, why do I have to deal with them again? Saul used to kill people. He used to congratulate the killers. You never know when people are going to change, when they're going to turn into something really dynamic for the kingdom of God. And. The thing is, you might be the one that helps them with that transition. And really, what I want to tell you guys is, you guys are like the very first church that actually even got on board to help me and hope. You guys are actually in that process with me, where you're like, hey, you're actually capable of doing a lot more. You guys are pushing me forward, right? And now you got Raquel going, and she's going to go into a place where 7 million people have died in our lifetime. Now, six million people died in, the, in World War II during the genocide or, or the Holocaust. Okay, Raquel's going there. You guys are sending her out. You guys are changing her definition, right? And we can all do that for each other, right? You're not just a guy that goes to work on Monday. You're sent by the Spirit of God to go into a dynamic that you don't even see. So I don't want you to look at Raquel and go, wow, she's a special missionary. I want you to realize all of you guys, we're all in the same boat. We're all working towards the kingdom of God, and we're all um, emissaries for Christ. We're all representatives, right? And how we show up for work on Monday and how we show up at the restaurant here in just a little bit, right, and interact with the person that's going to get a tip from us, all of that is missions. Every single bit of that is missions. So there's no such thing as a, as a stand-up in front and be a missionary because we're all together on this. So I just want you guys to really get behind Raquel, right? Really get behind and see what can happen to you when you get behind her because you're also a missionary. You're going, this is teamwork. So that, I wanted to tell you all about like my work, but I just felt like we really needed to get that straight, that you guys are really special as just as special as, as anybody else. And um, you guys can do some amazing things. So um, anyway, that's awesome, it. man. We just love you, Paul. We love Raquel. I'm gonna, we're going to let Raquel share uh, later on as she gets a little closer. Oh, yeah. She was relieved that she didn't have to say anything. Um, but man, let's pray for Paul. Let's pray for Raquel. So we reach your hand out. God, thank you so much for the friendship that we have with uh, Paul and Hope Africa. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you continue to build that relationship. And God, that we would uh, uh, together join arms and move forward to make a difference in the world. And God, we pray for Raquel. Lord, I pray that uh, her finances would come in to, to send her, Lord, where you've put on her heart to go, Lord, that we're all going with her. Uh, Lord, those that give, Lord, those that sow a seed. And Lord, I believe one day, many of us that are giving, we're going to go ourselves. And Lord, thank you, God, that you're uh, um, moving in her heart, moving our life. And God, continue to provide for Paul. God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He's got brochures. If you want to know more about uh, what he does, and he's just an awesome person as well. I love you. And, uh, you know, you guys know that we knew each other when we were like 15, 16. We were teenagers in my very first mission trip. Well, we were joking about this, if you want to call it a mission trip. Um, 
was uh, we were there together and we were, we knew each other. We we're in the same youth group and we we're like close friends, but we knew each other. And there's a picture of us as teenagers on a rock in uh, Jamaica at, um, at, at Duns River Falls. And, and it's pretty cool. Anyhow, so uh, let's transition back into the prophets. Uh, a lot of the prophets were pointing out and challenging us to go and to make a difference, to stand up, to be a voice, that there is a world in chaos, a world in trouble, and the prophets are challenging us to do something, to make a difference, to step out, to care for those that can't care for themselves. And as Micah says, to, to do justice, to, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before our God. That was the challenge of the prophets. Now we're going to turn the page here. Because what is about to happen is a change in everything that the prophets began to talk about. This is a conversation between God and a prophet. Now, we, don't, we know less about Habakkuk, that's who we're going to talk about today, than any of the other prophets. All we know about him is that he probably lived in Jerusalem because he was a priest in the temple and he played a mean guitar. That's all we know. He was a musician and a priest. And let me give you a little bit of background check on Habakkuk. And, and first of all, you guys, if you've been following it all, if you've been with this last couple of weeks, there used to be a united Israel. A civil war broke out. They split into two kingdoms, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. Both of them had a series of fairly evil kings. Every now and then, one from the south would rise up to be a good king. The north had no good kings, and God allowed them to be carried away by the Assyrians. The southern kingdom was on the same path. And many of you guys a couple of weeks ago who were here might remember us talking about one of the miners called Zephaniah. Zephaniah was a prophet during the time of a king called Josiah. He became a king at eight years old. He decided to clean the temple, literally go and clean it and do some repair work. And lo and behold, he found the Bible that hadn't been found in over 300 years. He began to read it. It changed his life. It transformed the way he saw the world. And he began to make amazing changes throughout the kingdom. Now, as you look on the chart, go ahead and look up here for a second. That's Josiah up there at the top. He made some amazing changes. And then he had three sons, and they were guys that basically turned the kingdom back in the opposite direction. Josiah marched out to battle, and he died at 39 years old on the battlefield. His son followed. His next son was a guy named Joahaz. And Joahaz, he was, uh, he basically reversed everything that Josiah did. He was a son of Josiah. He reigned for three months. Here's the deal. After three months, you see, here's how Josiah died. Judah is right in the middle of an area between a nation called, or a kingdom called Babylon and an empire that was trying to struggle with its power to overcome Babylon called Egypt. And well, you're reversed. So look at me. It's going to be Egypt and Babylon and Judah in the middle. And Egypt ran out to attack Babylon. Judah stood up and said, no, 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 not as long as I'm here. That was Josiah. And Josiah was killed by one of the kings, by the Pharaoh of Egypt. The Pharaoh of Egypt then decided that he was going to go back and take out Judah. And he did. And he put in place one of Josiah's sons. And that son was Joahaz. And he served three months and he was taken as a prisoner to Egypt. The next son of Joahaz was put in place, whose name Joachim. Joachim pledged his allegiance to Egypt and gave them money. A few years later, he pledged his allegiance to Babylon and gave them money. A few years later, he pledged his allegiance to Egypt and gave them money. Babylon had had enough, so Babylon came in, wiped out his rule, and just before they got there, he died. They threw him over the city gates, and Babylon put in place a son. Actually, his son took over, um, which is uh, Jeconiah. I know these are crazy names, all these J names. He served three months, and Babylon took him out and put in Josiah's third son. So he had three sons of Josiah and one nephew of Josiah serving in a relatively short period. The last son of Josiah, his name is Zedekiah, he served 11 years and he switched back to his allegiance to Egypt and Babylon had had enough. At this point, Babylon was already in control of Judah, but they still allowed them to maintain their city. And this is where they're at. Habakkuk was the prophet during all of this. He was there during the time of Josiah. He was there during the time of all four uh, kings 
uh, including Josiah, there'd be five. So Habakkuk begins to speak right in the middle of Joachim's reign. And this is kind of the background. This was a time of crazy, wicked, evil leaders. And Habakkuk was frustrated with, with the leadership of, the, of their country, was frustrated with the evilness of their people. He was frustrated with what he thought was God's quiet voice during a time of tremendous trouble. In fact, the word Habakkuk means this. You can write this down. His name means embrace or wrestle. In fact, I need somebody to come down here. Clint, can you come down here for a minute? You're pretty close. I uh, see when you sit down close, you get used in service. He doesn't mind being embarrassed. No, I'm just kidding, uh, sort of. All right, this is what the name Habakkuk means. Some people think Habakkuk just means this. Love you. Here's what Habakkuk means. Imagine that this is a wrestling match. No, I'm just kidding. Because actually his name means to wrestle. To embrace means that I'm going to, if you've ever wrestled, yeah, he's not resisting. I'm just pretending to, there you go. See, that's embrace means this. I won't let go. I won't let go. Don't throw me down, please. Because <laughs> I let go and I don't want us both on the ground. All right. That's what embrace means. It means struggle. It means to wrestle. It doesn't mean a hug. It means I'm hanging on tightly, even though there's resistance. In fact, the same word is used in Hebrew to denote people who are wrestling together. The word means to embrace when there's resistance. All right. Thank you, Clint, for letting me use you and for not hurting me. Habakkuk means to embrace or to wrestle. And we find that we just might wrestle with the same questions and the answers that he had. There's no sitcom answers in, uh, in Habakkuk. There, you know, in a sitcom, you guys like sitcoms? I love them. I mean, you got 30 minutes, uh, you got a few laughs, you got a little tension, and you got a resolve and a happy ending, and, you know, episode's over in 30 seconds. I'm sorry, 30 minutes and a happy ending. Many people like the sitcom sermons, you know, just kind of a little tension, everything's fine, no life change at the end. Yet you get just the opposite with Habakkuk. You get unresolved tension. You've got drama. You've got unanswered questions just as in real life. Habakkuk forces us to ask these questions that he asks. It's broken up into three major sections. And the first section of Habakkuk is chapter one. And I'm going to call it the wonder. Because he's wondering, God, where are you? Here's what it says in Habakkuk 1.1. He says, the prophecy that Habakkuk, the prophet, received. And then he goes straight into it. How long, Lord? The only prophet to push back and argue with God of the 12 miners. He says, how long, Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen or cry out to you? Violence. He's like, God, don't you see the violence? And he says, but you... Do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Guess who he's talking about? He's not talking about the wars with Egypt and Babylon. He's talking about his own people. He's saying, God, why in my own nation, in my own people, the people that you love, that were called, that you showed yourself to, why is it, God, that they are hating each other and fighting with each other and running from you? He says, why, God? Why are you allowing it? Why are you letting them do this? Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. It says the wicked him in the righteous. They bring him in so that justice is perverted. You ever wonder that? Maybe, maybe you've been like Habakkuk and you, you watch the news, you're, you're reading the stories, you know, you hear the stories that Paul shares or, or right now, I mean, there is incredible violence in, in Egypt right now. And in the last week, there's been about 1,200, 1200 people just slaughtered on the streets. There's a civil war going on and you think, God, why 
Do the evil prosper? How could you let a drunk driver on his third offense kill a third grader? God, why is it that you can allow a a promiscuous girl who keeps getting pregnant and keeps having abortions, God, and when I can't even have a baby of my own? God, why is it that you allow this person? Why the injustice? Why are my kids who are raised in God's word so messed up? And the kid who never knew God growing up is now serving him. God, I don't understand. How come I try to do what your word says fine? financially and I just can't get out of the hole. Why is my depression so heavy, God? Why won't the headaches go away? God, if you do something, if you can do something, why don't you? Honestly, how many of you ever thought those things, anything like that? I think we would be not telling the truth if we said we never did. Is God going to punish us for feeling that way? Is it appropriate to question God? Habakkuk has two problems with God. The number one is, God, you don't seem to care about the evil. And number two, we're going to find out, he says, God, I don't like the way you're handling things. So what God responded, he says in Habakkuk 1.5, this is what he says. Look, God responds. He says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. He says, what I'm going to answer you will shock you. He says, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe, even if you were told, which he's about to, which I think is kind of funny there. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians. Oh, wait a minute. I'm, I'm sure Habakkuk was going, what? These evil, vile Babylonians who, who worship other gods who are violent and, and torturous to us? He says, that ruthless and impetuous people, who, this is God talking, who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings not their own, They are feared and a dreaded people. They are law to themselves and promote their own honor. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallop headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly in like a vulture, sweeping to to devour. And they all come bent on violence. God says, guess what, Habakkuk? Help is on the way. I'm sending these vile people to be judgment. I will use your enemies to discipline you. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Now, if you're in the middle of your chapter one and you're here and you're watching and you don't like how God's handling things and you're wondering, God, where are you? I want to free you this morning and I want you to write this down because this is important to the story of Habakkuk and that's this, is that a deeply committed believer can express simultaneous questions and faith at the same time. We see this throughout scripture. You can be both frustrated and even perplexed and maybe even a little bit doubtful and be a believer in God. What? It seems like it's counteractive, but you're going to find that he was a deeply committed follower of God who expressed simultaneous question and faith at the same time. Typically, when we see trials, we do one of three things. We either, number one, we reject reality. Some people go, well, it's not true. It's not going to happen. I'm going to positively confess my changing outcome. And we're somehow thinking that denying that I'm sick will somehow make me better. And that denying that I don't have any money will somehow put money in my bank account. Or if I think and try hard enough, my car will fix itself, which it won't. We try to make it by sure will. We reject the reality. Another thing that we do is we retreat. We reject reality and we retreat. That means some of us, we, we get a conflict, we get trials, and we get mad. God, if this is what living for you is about, God, if this is what you're like, I don't want anything to do with you at all. So, and then we reject and we run from God. And too many walk away in the middle of chapter 1. And then the third thing is, and we're going to find out what Habakkuk does, is he gets rooted. He, he gets he gets grafted into God and he says, God, I'm going to trust you even though I don't understand you. In fact, the people with the most intimate walk with God, you're going to find are those that had the, the largest mountains to climb, the deepest valleys to fall, and the most difficult trials of their life are the very things that drew them to the most intimate places with God. Some of you, you're thinking, well, what is... You know, I love God, and but if this X, Y, or Z happened, I'm out. I'm finished. That's what I would call your crisis of belief. Some of you are in the middle of your CB right now. I have a question. What's your handle? 
breaker one nine, breaker one nine. What's your CB? What is it? What is your crisis of belief that says, you know, when I get that call, when I get that, when I get that response, when I get that message, when I hear those words from the doctor or my kids, or when I find out that this is happening, when I am a Christ, when what I believe is not aligning with what I know God has for me, what are you going to do? That's the question of Habakkuk, when what you see isn't consistent with what you believe and you're not sure what to think about God. Now, I think it's important to ask questions, so I don't think God is angry with you asking the questions. In fact, a third of the Psalms are people crying out to God, God, what are you doing? Job and Lamentations are people crying out to God, saying, I don't understand, but watch how Habakkuk has simultaneous faith and questions. Habakkuk 1, 12 through 14 says, Oh Lord, uh, are you not from everlasting? My God, my Holy One. He says, God, you are awesome. You're pure. You're good. You will not die. It's a statement of faith. You are forever. Then he questions God again. And he says, but oh Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. Oh rock, declaration of faith. You have ordained them to punish us question your eyes are too pure to look on evil a declaration of faith you're good you're pure why then question he says you cannot tolerate wrong why then do you tolerate them the treacherous this is why you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves now i want you to put yourself in his story for just a minute you're saying, God, man, this world is so wicked. This, this nation, these people, my community, these people that are running from you, God, do something. And God says, all right, I'm going to raise up a nation that's more wicked than them to, to teach you guys a lesson. Whoa, 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 God, what? How would you respond? Some of you might go, if that is what God is like, I'm gone. But rather than reject reality, rather than, run he got rooted and that's where the second chapter transitions into a period of waiting on the lord check this out habakkuk 2 1 he says i will stand at my watch and station myself on the ramparts god i don't get it i don't want it i don't understand it but i'm going to be where i'm supposed to be and i will stand and i will watch and i will not be moved he says i will position myself where i'm supposed to be i will look to see what he will say to me talking about God. He says, God, I've heard the response. I don't like it, but I'm going to wait and I'm going to listen to what you have to say and what answer I am to give to this complaint. He says, God, I've had my say. You know how I feel. Now I'm going to be quiet. I'm going to let you talk. And he says, I'm going to listen. Then the Lord said, write down this revelation. He says, grab a pen, take notes. Here's my response to your complaint. He says, and make it plain. That means Make it legible. Make it so that anybody can read it on tablets so that a herald may run with it. That doesn't mean that he's running around reading it. It just means that he may read through it easily. It just means that he can easily read what is about to be said. Don't let what I'm going to say confuse you. And don't let what you write down confuse anyone else. He says, record it so that years from now, people will see that I keep my word and that I'm good and that I'm just, and that I do exactly as I say. Then look what he did. Verse three says, for the revelation, what I'm about to say awaits for an appointed time. He says, man, he says, just like a pregnant woman. He says, you don't know when that day's going to be unless you have, you know, inducing date setting, which we had, which was pretty cool. Um, we got to pick our girls' birthdays. He says, but it's just like a pregnancy. He says, when the baby is ready, the baby's ready. It's an appointed time and you can't stop it. Makes me think of summer, even though she was uh, uh, an induced labor, man, we thought we went in the morning. It's going to be an easy day. We had her clothes. I was going to take a break and go eat and feel sorry for my wife while she did all the hard work. And I brought my stuff that I was going to play around with and do things with. And I, honey, I love you, baby. I love you. Turn on the page, read my book. You're okay, baby. You know, nope. What? She wasn't in that room and induced, and 15 minutes later, boom, summer was coming. And our doctor planned on it being later in the afternoon. We planned on it being later in the afternoon. Summer was coming out, 
And guess what? Our doctor wasn't there. And he was literally running across the street yelling, keep the baby in. And you know what? You can't stop a baby when the baby's coming. And God says, you know what? There is an appointed time for this. And when it comes, you can't stop it. He says, it has been settled My word is true. And he says, and it speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, he says, wait for it. He says, wait for it, because it will be legend. Dairy. It will certainly come and will not delay. And he goes, see the enemy? Babylon is puffed up. That's arrogant. His desires are not upright, but the righteous will live by faith. Many consider this the key verse in all of Habakkuk. In fact, many people believe that one verse is the key verse to the entire Bible. It's one of the most often quoted verses in the New Testament. It's quoted three times. It's one of those powerful verses. And I want you to ask yourself this question. Can you trust in what you don't understand and in what you can't see? Can you trust in what you don't understand and in what you can't see. Sean, could you come down here for a minute? I don't know if this was a good choice. Um, Sean doesn't know what I'm going to do. Sean, you're back, so you get to be a part of uh, illustration. All right, I want you to come over here. Now, many of you guys are familiar with the trust fall, correct? I should have picked someone who's maybe lighter than myself, but let's just, uh, here, stand right here. Do you trust me, Sean? Are you sure? All right. I want you to fall. All right. All right. Very good. All right. Do you trust me? I'm going to step back a little bit. All right. Sure. (laughs) Whatever, man. All right. Okay. All right. Now I'm going to step a little bit further back. All right, <laughs> you're going to go, ooh, when you hit the ground. Yes, I'm ready. <laughs> okay, I stepped up a little bit. All right, now, I want you to stand right here. Do you trust me to catch you? Okay, a lot of us, this is how we are with, with God. We feel like, all right, at first we're like, God, I'm not so sure. I'm going to, you know, I'm not, I'm, God, I, the little things, right? God, I'm not sure if I can trust you on this. I'm going to give you a shot. Ooh, he caught me the first time. All right, he caught me the second time. All right, now I want you to face me. Do you think I can catch you? Do you trust me? Yes. All right. I want you to fall back. Really? Okay. No, no, no. All right. Now, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Why did you do that? Were you really going to do that? I trust you. I figured All Tiny right. was back there or something. <laughs> oh, man, I should have thought through this illustration even better. That would have been a good that one. That would have been good. I... Would, have, would have taken. All right, here's the deal. You know what we do? Man, thank you for that trust that you have. You Really, you thought maybe somebody else was I back was there? open. <laughs> wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, this is a man of faith. He trusts in what he cannot see and he, what he does not know because of our relationship. Right? Our relationship was one that he knew I wouldn't put him in a situation where he would hurt himself. And that relationship didn't happen overnight. It was developed over time. But we have that friendship. We have that relationship. And some of us, though, thank you, Sean. Some of us, we get to that point where like, God, I trust you to catch me when you're behind me. But God, if you're facing me, I don't know if I can fall back and trust that you will be there for me. And Habakkuk is saying, you know what, God, I'm looking at you in the face but I'm going to trust that you're going to do something because the righteous live by faith. And though I don't see it, and though I don't understand it, I will trust you with this. God answers his question about Babylon. He says, God, how could you raise up Babylon? How could you use the wicked? And then he says this. Basically, God says, well, I'll deal with them later. I'm going to deal with you first. Then I'll deal with him later. And then the rest of Habakkuk chapter two, for instance, verse five, it says, indeed, wine betrays him. Talking about Babylon, they get drunk and they're overconfident. He says, he is arrogant and never at rest because he is greedy as the grave and the death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations and takes captive all the people. 
uh, all, the prof, uh, all the peoples. And then he gives five woes to Babylon. He says, yeah, Babylon's going to take you guys out, but, you know, Babylon's going to get theirs too. He gives them five woes. And he says, uh, God says, I'm just, and they'll get what's coming. And he says, but are you, Habakkuk, going to be a woe-filled person or a wow-filled person? Are you going to be trusting in what God you hope he does, or are you going to trust by faith and be a wild person and walk in what you know he can do and what he will do. So when you're dazed and confused, that short little four verses gives us what to do when we're unsure of what God is doing. Here's what he says in Habakkuk 2, when he says, I will stand at my watch station. And here's the first thing. If you're in chapter one, wondering where God is, or if you're in chapter two, waiting for God and, and just waiting and waiting, God, I'm just gonna listen, I'm gonna wait. Here's my challenge to you is number one, just stand, just stand. Be faithful, do not run away, don't retreat, don't disappear. If you feel like you've hit a wall with God, if you feel like you're struggling, if you feel like you don't know if God's even alive or real anymore, just stand at the wall. Just just be there. Sadly, many run in first response of trial and they drop out and they recoil. I see it all the time. I've been a pastor for many years. Uh, for over 20 years, I've been in, uh, in pastoral role and 25 years in ministry. And I see it all the time. People who, when trial comes, they get angry and they run. Habakkuk says, when you don't get it, when you're wondering and you're waiting, just stand. The second thing he says, Habakkuk 2, 1, the second part, he says, and I will look to see what he has to say. He says, man, I've, I've asked the questions. I've spoken my mind. Now I'm going to shut up. And here's the second thing I want you guys to do is I want you to listen. A lot of times we want to complain to God, but we're not ready to listen to God. It's important to ask God questions, then shut up and listen and be ready for his answer. So we're like, well, how do you hear God? How does God speak? The number one way he speaks is through his word. He'll talk to you and speak to you right through his word. Everything you need to know for life is right here. The second way he'll speak to you is through his spirit. If you're in relationship with him, he'll begin to speak to you in your spirit. In another way, he'll often speak through people. He'll bring a pastor, a friend, a neighbor to speak into your life. You're needing to hear his voice. Are you ready to listen? He'll also speak through your circumstances. He'll shake up your life so that all you can see, everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And another way is very, very rare. We know it happens because it's biblical, is an audible voice, which... I've never heard and very few people have ever heard. And you know what? Sometimes he won't, but it's time to listen. And then the third thing, he says this in Habakkuk 2. He says, Lord, uh, 2, he says, Lord, write this down and make it plain, the Lord says. Then read it back again. Here's the third thing you need to do like Habakkuk because you need to declare it. You need to declare what God is saying. You need to go back to God's word. You need to write it. You need to speak it. So much of the issues with Judah is that they forgot what God had spoken. If you're like me, when I go to the grocery store, I'm like, ah, sushi. Little Debbie's. You know, and I come in, I'm like, oh, bread. I love bread. Mm." I'm like, go to Kroger, man. I love their breads. They got good bread. And they got good sushi for a grocery store. And I got good little Debbies. And then I go, and then I go to get hamburger meat. And I'm like, oh, sausage, steak. And then before you know it, I don't even remember what I'm in there for. I'm calling my wife. Whenever she said, will you pick up a couple things? What do I say? Text it to me. Text it to me because I will walk out of there with stuff I don't need. Writing it down, it becomes a spiritual anchor. When God has talked to you, when God has spoken to you, here's, here's how it works. If you're here today and God is writing, speaking into your heart and saying something to you and, and, and you're sitting there going, man, that's good stuff, man. I got that. Man, that's obviously God talking to me. You go to lunch and you think, ah, you know what? It might've been God talking to me. An hour later, I think it was. Tomorrow you wake up. Yeah, sure it was. I think that was God speaking to me and challenging me. Three days later, I know it was maybe. And then a week later, I was just emotional. I was just hungry. I hadn't slept much. And then you're back all over wanting to hear God again. And you do the whole thing again. And you don't write it down. You don't let what God is saying be a spiritual anchor in your life. Declare it. Read his word. Write down what he's saying. And speak it and wait on God. Here's the fourth thing he did. In chapter 2, verse 3, he says, For the revelation will uh, wait an appointed time. He says, Though it linger, wait for it. Everybody, you know what the fourth thing is? It's just Wait. 
and then wait some more. And then wait some more. This is the challenge. If you're in chapter 1 or in chapter 2, wait. Wait for God. You know, I don't know about you. I like movement. I'm just a little ADD. I like instant. We all like instant. We like instant response. We like instant coffee. We like instant drive through We don't like to wait. But God's delays are not always God's denials. Some of you are in chapter two, waiting and waiting and waiting. Some of you think that means no movement, but think about this. What does a waiter do? They serve. So I got a challenge for you. If you're in chapter two, serve. Wait on God, serve God, serve his people, and wait on him. But what happens next is even a little bit more crazier. Habakkuk 2.20 What do you do when you're walking by faith and you still don't see God? This is what he says. Habakkuk 2.20 says, But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. He says, God, I don't understand, but Lord, you are God. God, I don't understand, but you are holy. God, I don't get it, but you are in control. You know, when my mother died a few years ago, God, you are in control. When my brother died a couple of years after that, God, you are are in control. When I was diagnosed with cancer four years ago, God, you are in control. When I got the news about a month ago that my dad has cancer, this week my dad almost died. We had four days. We weren't even sure if he was going to make it through the week. God, you are in control. Many of you guys don't know this, but Nicole's mom is going through chemotherapy. She was diagnosed with cancer, had the tumors removed a couple of weeks ago. God, you are in control control. God, when I don't see what I know you can do, God, when I'm walking by faith and I still don't see you, but the Lord is still in his temple. The Lord is still on the throne. I love this, this faith, the simultaneous faith and question that Habakkuk has. Many scholars believe that Habakkuk actually ends with chapter two. And it's not a bad ending. Look what he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple, let the earth be silent before him. That means hush. He says, man, when you understand who God is, you got nothing left to say. So it says, you're wondering, you're waiting. But if you get rooted, you're going to have what Habakkuk gives us in chapter three. And this is the last chapter. It's only three chapter book. And this is what he says. The rest of Habakkuk is a prayer, is a praise and worship song. It's a song of praise because he knows who God is. In the middle of his doubt, in the middle of his fear, in the middle of his anxiety, in the middle of his questions, in the middle of his problems with God, this is what he declares. Habakkuk 3, 1, he says a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet. He turns from talking to God in questions to declaring God in faith. He says, on Shigenoth. Now that, nobody knows what that is. Some translations don't even put that word in there. It's a mystery word. It is believed to be a type of musical style. So basically he's saying, I want you to get shiggy with this song here. He says, play it emotionally. Get shiggy with it. He says, verse two, he says, Lord, I've heard your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, O Lord. He says, I've heard of your miracles. He says, renew them in our day. In our time, make them known. He says, I've never seen it before. God, I've never seen the Red Sea part. God, I, I, I never saw anybody dead come back to life. God, I never saw water come out of rocks or manna come out of heaven. God, I never see, uh, never seen the great miracles that you did for our forefathers. God, all we know is that we're hurting and that you're real. God, we need a miracle. So it says, in wrath, remember mercy. Renew them in our day. He says, God, I don't know if you're there. I know you're alive. I know you're real. I know you're great. And God, I've never seen your miracles, but God, we sure could use one right now. The word renew is the word kaya. They karate, kaya. You know, when I was a, 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 a dad of younger children, my kids were younger, we would wrestle and I would often like, kaya, you know, we'd do karate, right? And they would always uh, win, quotation fingers. Um, they would throw me down, kaya. You know, and I'd flip him over and they're like, and then once we got on the ground and you've had enough because you're old, you know it. You're like, <sighs> they're like, 
do it again, daddy, right? They grab you again. They're pulling at your leg. My daughter, Noelle, I'm just kidding. She's not here. I'm going to tell you. She's uh, 14. She still grabs my legs and I have to drag her around the house. I'm like, go to bed. And the only way to release her is the tickle buttons, you know. And then we wrestle. But she wants to, God, do it again, daddy. This is the idea. As he says, God, you've done so many great things. God, do it again, daddy. Do it again, dad. Do it again. When God shows up, it overwhelms the earth. He goes on to say and sing about how great God is. He sings about his miracles. He sings about his splendor. He even calls God a mighty warrior riding on a horse with his bow pulled back. Let me tell you something. When God shows up, he's not a wimp. He's a mighty warrior. And when he shows up, the whole earth trembles and it overwhelms those who are alive. And one of the wonders of Habakkuk is how Jesus shows up right in the middle of it. And all of his pain and all of his sorrow and all of his questions and all of his frustrations, he sees Jesus. As he's singing in Habakkuk 3.13, he says this. He says, you, O God, he says, you came out to deliver your people. The word here is coming out. We're talking about Jesus who came out, who came down to earth. He says, to save your anointed one. Jesus, the Bible tells us, came. He is the anointed one, the Messiah, God with us. He came down to earth to rescue us. And that God rescued Jesus from the grave and he rose again from the grave. He says, he says to save your anointed one, you crushed the leader. That means you've crushed his head. The, the land of wickedness. Satan was crushed on the cross. He says, you stripped him. You cut him open from head to foot. And then he says, Selah. That's a musical term where you do an instrumental, which basically means think about that for a minute. And he says, with his own spear, you pierced his head. Think about this. The cross was Satan's weapon against Jesus. What Satan thought would take out the Messiah, Satan's own weapon, the cross, was the very weapon that Satan's head was crushed with. In Habakkuk, Jesus is the anointed one who comes to rescue, whose very death and resurrection gives us life in the hands and the eyes of an almighty God, the holy God of our salvation. Habakkuk ends with possibly one of the greatest declarations in the entire Bible. Habakkuk 3.16, he says, and again, he's singing this. He says, I heard what you told me just now, and my heart pounded. He says, my lips quivered at the sound Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. He says, I realized that what you just said was going to happen because you are a God of your word. You are true to what you say. And I know that when it happens, it's not going to be pleasant and it scares me, God. He's saying, God, I am scared. He says, it is making my heart heavy. I'm pounding. My legs are trembling, God. But he says this, he says, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. He's not in denial. He's not doing positive confession here. He looked at his trial in the face and he says, God, I may die. My friends may die. My family may die. And I accept it and know that you are good and that you are up to something. Verse 17, he says, though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there is no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls. He says, if my whole life falls apart, if nothing goes right, if I lose my job, if I go hungry, if I get sick, if my future seems bleak, if nothing goes right for me, when I have no reason whatsoever to be happy physically or visibly, he says, yet I will rejoice. That word rejoice is triumph. Yet I will triumph in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The word God my Savior is the word Yeshua, which is the name Jesus. He says, I will triumph. I will triumph. I will be joyful in Yeshua, in Jesus. It's powerful. God my Savior, that is what the name Jesus means. He says, I will, regardless of what happens, I will see my Savior. I've had a few valleys in my life. I've had abuse as a child. I've seen 
My mother get divorced multiple times. I've seen what it's like to be poor, to live on food stamps. That was our family. I went through bouts of depression, anxiety, the death of friends and family, my own bout with cancer. And I've asked the tough questions. And I've asked God, if you're there, why aren't you doing anything? And I've asked the question of God, if you're good, then where are you? If the Bible is man-made, does Jesus really do that? What if this isn't true? And guess what I found? I found you can be intelligent. You can be thoughtful and still believe in the power of God. I found that through questions and trials, I am stronger in my faith and I'm standing in the triumph of Jesus in my life. That's what I found through this journey, through the valleys. I've walked with Jesus through enough yesterdays to trust him with all of my tomorrows. The very last verse of Habakkuk is this. He says, the sovereign Lord is my strength. That's a military term, which means the Lord will fight for me. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to go, to, to go on the heights. Now, the picture here is if you've ever been to Colorado and you look up to the mountains and you see these mountain goats up on the, you're like, how did they get up there? God says, I will give the ability to climb the mountain. I will give you the ability to walk over that tough terrain of your life. And I will take you to places you've never been through Jesus. So when you're in chapter one or you're in chapter two, do the Habakkuk and embrace and maybe even wrestle with God a little bit. God, I don't understand. I don't get it, but I know you're good. I know you're faithful. God, I don't see you, but embrace, embrace, embrace. Hold on, grab a hold. No matter what happens with God, Habakkuk held on and he wrestled with God. And I can't promise you a better life, but I can promise he'll take you to a place of intimacy you've never been before. And I want to end with this thought right here. Habakkuk tells us this. Sometimes faith looks like a powerful conqueror and sometimes it looks like a stubborn survivor. There's not always a happy ending in this life, but through Jesus, we have eternal life and hope in this life. The very last part, of chapter 19 is a part often skipped. And it says, for the director of music on my stringed instruments. Notice this, he says, on my. See, Habakkuk is saying, this is my song. This is my walk with God. This is my cry to the Messiah. Can you sing with me? Can you sing it too? Here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna end our time with some worship. And I want to challenge you guys to to sing the song of Habakkuk. Embrace God in your trial. Wrestle with him a little bit, but know that he's good and he's faithful and he's doing something in your life that maybe you can't see yet. Wrestle with him. Hold on. Watch what he'll do. Let's pray. God, thank you so much. The Lord, you never let go of us. God, I pray that you teach us to never let go of you. But God, when the waters rise, when the storm is raging, we can see you in the midst of our life doing something unexpected. But we may not like the answer that we were given by the doctor. We may not like that letter that we received from work. We may not like that bill that we got in the mail. But God, you are faithful and good. And I will trust in that. Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to have our ushers come forward. We're going to close our service. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.